If you have your Bible with you, you can start with me in the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. This is the last message in a, in a series that we have done on the features of our corporate worship. We started in week one talking about our call to worship. And then we talked about singing and praying and preaching. Last week we talked about the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, why not only Christians observe those ordinances, but why we observe them together in a gathered worship service. And this morning, the last feature of our gathered worship together that we're going to look at is the benediction. If you have uh, an outline or notes that were at the heads of the aisle as you came in, we just tried to give just a very simple, maybe overly simplistic definition of what a benediction is. And on the notes, we just stated it this way, that a benediction is a blessing directed to God's people. That's, that's actually what benediction means. It's a fancy word, Latin, Latin word, for blessing. So at the end of our service, one of the ways that we'll close this service today is that Andy will announce, will proclaim, declare a blessing over God's people. And we want to look this morning and ask the question, why do we do that? Why do we make that a regular part of our gathered worship together on Sunday mornings? So one of the most well-known benedictions or blessings that we have in the scriptures is in Numbers chapter 6, starting at verse 22. If you have headings in your Bible, in your Bible it may say something like Aaron's benediction or the priestly blessing or something along those lines. I'm going to read this as representative of the benedictions as a whole. We'll come back to this passage a little bit later, but just to get us in the right frame of mind and hopefully heart as we talk about this, hear what the Lord spoke to his people and to us in this passage. Numbers 6, verse 22. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name, or literally you could read that as, so they shall place or put my name on the sons of Israel, and I will bless them. This is the word of the Lord to us today. Let's pray. Father, help us to see with new eyes, as it were, that all the blessings that we've been singing about in our songs together this morning. All of them come from you, through your Son, by your Holy Spirit. 
that every good and perfect gift comes from above, that every blessing that is ours is ours because of Christ and not because of anything that we have done or earned. We pray that we would be perhaps awestruck at how certain and determined you are to bless your people along with your son as we spend this time together in your word. Do this for your glory and for the exaltation of your son and do it by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we ask this, amen. So a benediction is a blessing directed to God's people. We'll talk about this a little bit later, but one of the interesting things about a benediction Uh, Well, we could say a couple things. Uh, One, a benediction typically in our usage or in our practices always come at the end of a service, right? So we think of benediction, if you were to define the benediction, we might might think of it in terms of the last word that is said. But actually, a benediction, because it is just a term for blessing, is a blessing that's given at any time. You can have a benediction at the beginning of a service. You can have it at the end of a service. You can have it in the middle of a service. You can have it anywhere in Scripture. And in fact, when you look for it, you begin to notice that there are benedictions, there are blessings everywhere in Scripture as God speaks to his people. So it's not just simply that a blessing is saved for something at the end. We'll talk about why it is that we save it for the end in a little bit here. Another thing that we could say about, uh, about blessings and the way that it is used in the scriptures is that there is a unique way in which a blessing, a benediction, a word of blessing, functions in two simultaneous ways, which we'll come back to. One, it's stated as a proclamation, like actually proclaiming God's blessing on his people. In some traditions, not ours, but in some traditions, this has led people to believe that the person who is the ordained minister or a priest, because of his position and authority, actually has the power to confer God's grace or God's blessing on people by the words that he says. Like that in the actual speaking of the blessing, a blessing is being called down. That's, that's not what we believe. But we can understand how people go in that direction because of the fact that blessings oftentimes are stated in a matter-of-fact way as if the blessing is just there. On the other hand, it's also very interesting that there are many blessings in Scripture in which they're very much like a prayer, almost more of a prayer than a proclamation, so that you would be forgiven for wondering, well, are they saying that we have this blessing or are they asking that we would have this blessing? We'll answer in a little bit that the answer to that question is yes. It's both. But starting off, we want to do, as we've done with every feature, every part of our service that we've talked about, we want to start with the basic question, is this biblical? Do we have biblical warrant? Does God in his word give us an indication that this is a fitting or appropriate way to worship the Lord together. And in this respect, we would say that a benediction is very similar to the justification that we have for a call to worship, in the sense that there is nowhere that you can go in Scripture that says, that commands the church, you must have a call to worship before your service can formally begin. 
just like you will not find in the scriptures a formal command that says you must in your gathered worship together with a benediction or with a word of blessing. So it's not explicitly prescribed to us by way of command. We can't go to chapter and verse, but what we notice with a call to worship and with a benediction is that there is a clear pattern in the Scripture that gives us the idea that by way of principle, a benediction is a good and right way to worship the Lord together. So, for example, you don't need to turn to all of these passages just yet, but just let me show you how both in, um, in subtle and in more direct ways we see this idea of benedictions running through the Scriptures. You can start in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1. God's first words to humanity are what? A blessing. Genesis 1, 26 and following, and God blessed them. The Lord blessed them and said, and then he gives them in his blessing their directions for how they're to live life in enjoyment with him. Sin enters into the world in Genesis 3, and now the blessing that God has pronounced over his people, his image bearers, and overcreation has been interrupted and marred by the curse. Now, one of the questions that starts in the very beginning of the Bible storyline is, which will win out, the blessing or the curse? And as you begin to see the unfolding story, it looks, it looks as if a curse is going to doom and destroy God's creation and everyone who lives in it, because you go to murder and polygamy and anger and all forms of corruption, so much so that the Lord decides to take a new start or start again a new creative work with Noah and his family after the flood. Not surprisingly, in Genesis chapter 9, when Noah and his family come off of the ark after God has judged and wiped the, the earth clean to start new, what are the first words that he gives to Noah? He gives him a blessing. In fact, the blessing that he pronounces over Noah and over his family is the blessing that he pronounced over Adam and Eve in the very beginning. Sin continues. Even that new start is not enough to keep the curse and sin at bay. And so God enters into the new display or the new work of his redemptive purpose planned all the way from the beginning and here is where you can jump into the scriptures with me turn to Genesis chapter 12 God is going to create a new people for himself to carry his light and his revelation to all the people of the earth to give by way of living example what it looks like to live under God's blessing. And so he calls out Abraham and says, I'm going to make you and your descendants a great nation. Look at the way in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, that God calls Abraham out and commissions him. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's design and intent in the very beginning of creation is to have all of the universe, every image bearer, living under the blessing of his rule. Second, not only do we see that blessing, that benediction, words of blessing are part of God's creative design for this world and specifically for his people, but we see in the passage that we read in the beginning in Numbers chapter 6 that God's benediction or God's word of blessing is a unique gift that he gives specially to his covenant people in the Old Testament Israel. So if you go back to Numbers chapter 6, notice again, looking a little bit more closely, what it is that God is doing when he gives this blessing formula to the priests. Number 623, speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel, or in this way you will bless the sons of Israel. You will say to them, in other words, God is so determined that his people hear his word of blessing being announced and prayed over them, that he actually in his goodness and mercy to his people as a demonstration of his favor gives to his priests, his representatives, the actual explicit words. These are the blessings that you speak. These are not, this is not a wish on your part that my people would be blessed. This is my word to you that I will bless my people because they belong to me. And at the end, in verse 27, after giving the blessing formula, the Lord says, in this way, they will place my name on the sons of Israel, and I will bless them. Meaning, because these are God's words of blessing, not ultimately the priest's words, because they are speaking God's very word, God will honor his word and will bless his people in line with the blessing that has been announced by the priest. Don't just speak or give an idea of blessing. Let them know that I am promising to bless them. And then this is God's word to his new covenant people, to us all through the New Testament. We don't have time to do it, but let me just take you to a couple places. Every after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the account in Acts of the beginning, how the church had its birth and how it began to expand. All of the New Testament letters, every single letter but two, James and 1 John are the only exceptions, every single New Testament letter contains at least one benediction, at least one. Paul's letters which make up the majority of the New Testament letters, every single one of Paul's letters begin with a benediction and end with a benediction. 
Now, some of these are very brief. Some of them can be as short as one line. Others have them several verses. Let me just give you in short order. Follow with me in the scripture. Start with the book of Romans. And look at Romans 1, verse 7. He's addressing the people that he's writing to. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you hear that blessing being announced? Announcing God's grace and peace for his people. And then if you go to the end of Romans, in Romans 16, verse 20... The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. The blessing of God's grace. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Paul opens his letter with a blessing, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then at the end of the letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's do just one more. Galatians. Galatians 1, verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to the end of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. All benedictions, all statements of blessings that Paul uses to open and to close his letters. Now, all of that is fine and good. You may say, okay, fine, that Paul does that in his letters, but how in the world do we jump from that to doing this in our worship service? Well, a couple things that we would say. Number one... Keep in mind that the way that these letters would have first been heard would have been in a gathered setting. Paul would have written his letter to the church at Corinth. A messenger would have taken that letter, and as the people sat together, not in a format like this, but probably in homes or some such thing, as they sat together, they would sit and they would listen to God's Word through the words of Paul. Which means that as the people were seated together, the first thing that they would hear as God's word was being addressed to them, they would hear God's blessing. And then the very last thing that they would hear, or near the last at least, thing that they would hear as God's word was being read and expounded to them, they would hear a blessing. By virtue of the fact that the church grew 
through the scriptures as they were being written and shared, the church was growing in part by hearing and trusting that God was blessing his people. Another thing, though, that we might consider, did, did you happen to notice the, the two things that Paul tends to either ask for or proclaim for his people, especially in the beginning, the first benediction at the beginning of the letter? What are, what are the two things that he is wanting or praying or declaring, proclaiming that God's people have in Christ? Grace and peace. When you go back to Numbers chapter 6, and the Lord is giving to the priests the blessing that they are supposed to pronounce over the people, what are they supposed to announce to the people? Grace and peace. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May he cause his face to shine on you and give you peace. Do you think that it's coincidence then that when Paul opens his word, opens God's word to his people, that the thing that he is continuing to repeat, beginning in the Old Testament, carried all the way through into the New Testament, is the assurance of grace and peace to God's people? Furthermore, remember how in number six, how the statement or the instruction ends. Tell Aaron and the priest to bless my people this way, and then the, the formula is given to them. And then what does the Lord say in number 627? So you will place my name on the sons of Israel, and I will bless them. Jesus says in John 14, 13 and 14, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Do you hear that pattern being replicated? You put the name of the Lord on the sons of Israel, and I will bless them. Jesus says, you ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. So then, if, by God's word, we are announcing and repeating the very blessings that God has revealed to his people, and we are doing so in the name of Jesus Christ, there is the assurance that for all of those who are in Christ, announcing God's blessing on Christ's people is a blessing that will, in fact, be given and delivered to his people. We want this congregation to go out from here on Sunday morning with God's blessing ringing in their ears. To know that because the name of Christ has been placed on me, I have the blessing of God resting on my life. There are blessings everywhere in the scriptures, and it is good and right that we remind ourselves of that intention for God to bless his people, 
of his promise to bless his people, of the certainty that he is blessing his people by using the words of Scripture to announce and to pray for God's continued blessing. There's a biblical pattern, there's biblical principle for this. But another reason that we want to end our time together with a benediction, with a word of blessing, is because not only does it cause us to go out from here with God's word of blessing ringing in our ears, but because even in the call to worship at the beginning and the benediction at the end, both of those things continue to point us to our new life in Christ. It's emblematic, or we might say it's symptomatic of this new life that we have been brought into because of the finished work of Christ. Turn with me to to Leviticus 9.22. Some of you are thinking right now, does anything good come out of Leviticus? Yes, Yes, much, much good. In Leviticus 9.22, let me tell you what has just happened in Leviticus 8 and 9. In Leviticus 8, Aaron and his sons have been officially ordained, anointed as priests for God's people to be the mediator between God and man. In chapter 9, Aaron and his sons, in their new role, in their new ministry, now perform the first official sacrifices by the Levitical priesthood in chapter 9. Listen to what happens at the end in Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22. After a sin offering has been presented, after a burnt offering, after peace offerings have been presented, Leviticus 9.22, then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them, and he stepped down after making the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. Picture this. Aaron and his sons offer up the sacrifices for atonement for the sins of God's people because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sin. Sinful people cannot have fellowship with the holy God. And as a way to demonstrate, to assure them that those sacrifices were received and acceptable to God, on God's authority, The spokesman, the priest, turns around and he raises his hands and he announces God's blessing on his people. God is pleased with you. That's good. But it gets even better. Turn to Luke chapter 24. and see if your jaw does not drop. Luke chapter 24, verse 50. And Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. 
while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. Do you hear that? What does the priest do in Leviticus after he has performed the sacrifices to atone for the sins of the people? He turns from the altar and he announces God's settled blessing on the people. It's done. You're forgiven. Your sins are accounted for. You are right with God. And what does Jesus do? The far greater priest, with the far greater sacrifice, with far better promises, offers himself up on the cross as a once-for-all sacrifice for sin, conquers sin and death in his resurrection, returns to his father, but before he leaves to return to his father, the last thing that he does for his people is to raise his hands and to declare you are blessed and favored by God. Your sin is paid for. It's done. Death has been defeated. You are reconciled to God. This one final word of blessing that Christ himself, the Son of God, announces for his people is an eternal word of blessing that will never be taken away. If you are in Christ, you have that. You have been blessed once and for all in Christ Jesus by your creator who no longer stands against you as judge but stands with you as your father and he has given you as a demonstration of his favor and love for you the sign of his blessing in the presence of his Holy Spirit so that you can know that you have his favor and his delight. If you don't have Christ, you, don't, you do not have this blessing. All that exists outside of Christ is a curse, a deserving curse for your sin and for your rebellion. But because Christ was made a curse for us, anyone who turns in repentance and faith to find the blessing of God in Christ can know that God has already spoken a word of blessing over them that will carry them through this, through this life and in the life to come. And by the way, just to, to add another aspect or to point out another aspect, when Jesus is ascending to his Father and when he raises his hands to bless, who does he bless? He blessed who? 
he blessed them. Not, he turned and he blessed Peter, and he blessed John, and he blessed James, and then turned and gave a second-rate blessing to the rest of the guys. No. To the one that Jesus loved, to the one who denied him and betrayed him, to the ones who remained faithful, to the ones who were erratic basket cases given to outbursts of anger, Jesus announces over all of them the one and same blessing. If you are in Christ, there is no one that has more or less of God's blessing than what you do right now. No one. So we insist on a benediction in our worship service because in hearing God's blessing being spoken over his people, we're being reminded whether we realize it in the moment or not, we're being trained and our hearts and minds are being cultivated to remember that these blessings that are being spoken over us are blessings that are given not because of anything that we have earned, but because of what Christ has won for his people. And that Christ, having done the work to earn God's favor and blessing, now in turn gives that blessing, shares it with his people by faith. So it points to the fact that we have a greater priest than anyone in the Old Testament ever could dare to hope for. It also points to the fact, as we hear these benedictions, that even the blessing itself that Christ would announce over his people through his word by the Spirit, even those blessings are better than the blessings that he announced to his people in the Old Covenant. Go back with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 7. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Paul wants to come or wants these people to have, grace and peace. Turn to chapter 5, Romans 5. Verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have, present tense, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Presently. In other words, when Paul announces or proclaims grace and peace to God's people in Romans 1, it is just that. It is a proclamation 
saying, this is what you already have. You already have grace and peace in Jesus Christ. You have it now. You don't have to go looking for it. Because you have Christ, you have everything that comes with Christ. So a benediction, on the one hand, proclaims, it announces what we already have. That means that when you come on Sunday morning, perhaps you come in dragging because of the weight and the burdens of this life. You know what the one thing is, or at least one thing, there are many, but one thing that you don't have, that you don't have to wonder You don't have to wonder if God is for you. You don't have to wonder if God has abandoned you, if God no longer loves you or favors you, because God in his word has announced to you that you have his grace and peace. Your life may not look that way, it may not feel that way, but we do not judge on the things that we see, but on what is unseen. God has declared that you, in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your weariness, even in, your, in the midst of your sin, you have his grace and peace because of Christ. But then when you get to the end and you, and you see, well, even in the beginning, in Romans 1, in Romans 16, there also is sort of the prayer element to these benedictions. On the one hand, in light of Romans 5, when Paul says that we have peace with God, that means that in one sense, I interpret the benediction at the beginning and, and at the end as Paul stating what is already mine, what already belongs to us. On the other hand, though, it's not actually stated in an explicitly declarative form. It is almost a wish fulfillment or a wish statement that's being made. So some of our versions will have something like, may God give you or may you have grace and peace. Well, which is it, Paul? Do we have it or do we not? And here's where we say, yes. Because what the New Testament authors are doing, what God is doing by his words of blessing to his people is doing two things. Number one, he is proclaiming what is already ours. But number two, he is giving us the words of prayer for us to offer up and to say, would you, God, in your grace and mercy, would you allow us to know this more fully? In other words, it's one thing for you to come in and to sit in this pew and to have someone tell you or preach to you or hear someone read to you God's word of blessing and for you to believe that this is God's word. It is another thing, another step in the process of growth and maturity, not just for you to believe it, but to know it, that you have it and that you experience it. I think one of the things that's happening in the volitional element of benedictions is that the author, the 
God is showing us that this is something that he is intending for us to know more deeply. So if you think of Ephesians 3, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. And if one of the things that we ask or think is that we would receive more of God's grace and his peace, is that the kind of prayer that God will answer? Yes. So that even the blessing that you have right now in your relationship with Christ, even that pales in comparison to the depths of the riches that God will continue to give you in his kindness. So we want a benediction in our service because it points to our new life in Christ. It reminds us of the fact that our high priest has once and for all spoken a word of blessing over God's people. It reminds us of the fact that this blessing is already ours by way of proclamation. It has been announced by Christ himself. It is also the heart of our prayers that we would know more of the blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ. And the last thing that we could say is that this blessing that rings in our ears as we go out these doors becomes the source and motivation for our mission. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. And look with me at verses 8 and 9. 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Why should Christians, both in their interactions with one another and even in their interactions with a hostile society outside, why should Christians be known as those who speak kindly and who utter a blessing in return for insults and threats? Because if you know that their cursing does not take away God's blessing on you, what does it matter what they say? Let them curse. God has blessed. Let them mock and let them make fun. God has honored. Let them despise us. God has favored us. But notice even here, it's not just that we simply insulate ourselves with God's blessing. Sticks and stones may hurt my bones. Is that how it goes? Sticks and stones may break my bones. That's it but words will never hurt me, right? It's not a souped-up, Christianized version of that. But it's that people who have God's blessing become the most generous, risking people in the world. 
Because if all of the greatest riches of eternity are already mine for the taking, what does it matter what someone else tries to take from me? People who get overly, Christians who get overly stressed, overly anxious about the details and the circumstances of life, and and we all do, right? We all do. But oftentimes, that's because we have lost sight of the fact that God has determined and guaranteed to bless his people. And I begin to think and act as if my blessing, as if my enjoyment, as if my contentment and peace in this life will be determined by circumstances beyond my control and people who want nothing but the worst for me. And so I respond with anger and defensiveness. But if I were thoroughly convinced that no word, no message, no motive could ever undo what God has already done in Christ, I would not fear a thousand people. Because God has blessed. Let's pray. Father, as you continue to shape us by your grace and mercy, would you continue to enable us to live lives of worship, heartfelt, genuine worship, that the very offering up of our lives and of our bodies would itself be one of the ways that we demonstrate that we treasure you and the rewards of Christ far more than the passing pleasures of sin and far more than any of the riches that this world could offer us. Help us to be so confident in your word of blessing given to us by the work of your Son that we would not fear the attacks of our enemy that we would not selfishly cling and grasp to those things that other people seek in order to find their security and blessing. Make us generous, giving people when we go into the workplace, when we talk with family and friends, when we're in the classroom, so that the blessing that we have received would in turn be used to bless others for the expanse of your kingdom, for the exaltation of Christ, according to the power of your spirit. We pray these things in your name. Amen.